if you can show them like, hey, this is what we're doing now and this is what we've learned, people will trust you even though you may have failed at the beginning. So don't get discouraged if you did fail and you're afraid everybody's going to be looking around at you like, oh, you failed, you lost a lot of money or you didn't do what you said you were going to do. Listen, just get back up, keep the ball rolling and just go out there and do what you say you're going to do. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Penn, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Michael Tucker on the show. Michael is a real estate investor based out of Kentucky and is the host of the podcast, Real Estate Success Strategies. In this episode, Michael will teach us about creative financing and partnering structures to help you grow your real estate investment portfolio when you might not have a lot of capital. And if you guys enjoy this episode, please share this episode with a friend to help them learn more about real estate investing. And if you're looking for a hard money loan, you can contact me directly at sean at everythingrei.com. We can help you do a 12-month bridge loan for your fix and flip projects or help you get a 30-year fixed loan for your rental properties. And now, on to the show. All right, Michael, thank you so much for being on our show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. Hey guys, my name is Michael Tucker and I am from South Central Kentucky, way out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I kind of like joking with people. We, I'm down here in a small town and right now I primarily flip houses and we actually are getting ready to buy a bunch of rentals. So primarily what I do is, you know, obviously like most of you guys, I go in and buy properties that are undesirable and we make them desirable. So, and I kind of like it because I work in a small town, so there's not a lot of competition and I get to be the flipper of my town. So it's kind of cool. I get to go in there and do projects like that. But, you know, it wasn't always like that. I grew up very entrepreneurial. My family always owned multiple businesses. And growing up, I had that bug in me, that business bug. And at the time, I didn't really quite know what I would like to do. You know, growing up as a kid, all you know is selling, you know, lemonade on sidewalks and uh, or at yard sales, you're selling cookies and stuff like that. But Growing up, I just knew I loved sales and business, but I didn't know which niche I wanted to be in. So fast forward to high school, fast forward to college, high school kind of time frame there. And I found myself trying anything and everything to make a dollar, but nothing was working. Sean, I don't know if you can relate to that. If you've, I don't know, there's a lot of people that are kind of like me. Maybe you're listening right now to this podcast and you've tried everything and anything to make a dollar. That was me in high school. And, you know, once I graduated, went into college, I tried stock trading, I tried e-commerce, so many things, social media marketing agency, and nothing seemed to work. So I thought, I was like, man, what am I doing wrong, man? I, nothing, it seems to work for me. And I found myself just asking the same thing every few months as I started something new. And so I want you to remember that as you're listening to this, as you're maybe watching this podcast, I only tried each thing for a few months at a time. And I thought, the things I was trying, the methods were failing me, but in reality, I was failing the methods. And so, you know, I found myself in college at Campbellsville University here in Kentucky, just feeling like, what am I going to do next? Well, one of my friends reached out to me, Sean, and said, hey, would you like to start a network marketing business with us? And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll jump in. So we got into network marketing and it was kind of really fun. I loved it because there was the trainings they did. It was really community-based. I loved that. 
But one day my upline, my sponsor in that network marketing company kind of just like, I don't know, we lost communication over a series of days and days led to weeks and weeks led to months. And so fast forward six to eight months later in this network marketing company, I found myself asking again, why did this not work? Right. I was determined. I was going to all the events. I was doing what they said, but just wasn't right. Well, my sponsor, my upline, as you would call him in, in the business, he reached out to me about six months later and he said, hey, listen, I know we haven't talked much. Life just kind of got in the way. I'm starting to teach people how to get into real estate. Is this something you would be interested in? And so this is kind of where the, the real estate bug was planted in my head, in my ear. And I was like, you know what? I'm trying everything and anything to make a dollar anyways. Why not try real estate? But I told him, I said, now, listen, I don't have any money. I just got married. I want you to imagine this. I just got married and I was, I think at the time, 20 or 21, and we just spent all of our money on a honeymoon. So literally almost all of our money, all of our savings, we went to Bali, Indonesia, and we just kind of used all that. And so I had maybe a couple hundred dollars in my bank account. And so I told him, I said, you're saying I can get into real estate with little or no money. He said, yeah, there's certain strategies you can use, but I'm helping coach people. Would you be interested in learning? And so I said, you know what? Cool. I'm going to give it a shot like everything else. So I put kind of the network marketing on the back burner. I said, you know what? I'm going to try this real estate gig. I got in and within the first six months, man, I was looking at so many houses. I was crushing it. I'm not even going to lie, but I didn't listen to my mentor. I didn't do what he was saying. I was going out there and doing part, partially what he was saying. I was going out there looking at houses, but whenever it came to like evaluating the deals, I wasn't doing it right. And I just was, you know, only half listening. And so I found myself six, 12 months into my real estate journey with two houses that I lost a lot of money on. And if you're in real estate, you know, if you lose a lot of money, you lose a lot of money. So I lost like a combined total, probably like 20 or $30,000 between the two houses and I had no money to start with. So that kind of put me in a place of depression. I had no money. So that got me depressed financially. I was depressed mentally at the time because I was trying to do all the work on these houses myself. We can kind of dive into that later, Sean. But I got in and I was just depressed relationally between me and my wife because I was always working on the house. We had no money. She was stressed out. I was stressed out. So it just my whole world started falling apart. So it felt like, right? And one day, it's funny, this moment is where everything changed for me. One day I was in my mom's store. She has a little like clothing boutique store. And she said, Michael, you look miserable. You, you're constantly, you know, grumpy. You're constantly just look depressed. Are you sure you want to continue doing this real estate thing? And every other time in my life, I would have said, you know what, maybe I do need to try something else. Or I would just, you know, leave it in the corner and I would go and move on to a new venture. And it was in this moment I had a decision to make. Was I going to commit to the process, commit to real estate and, you know, learn from my losses? Or was I going to continue further or to something else, leave that and go to something new? And so she asked me that question and I said, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to keep doing it. And so it was that day I decided to commit to real estate industry. And since then, you know, I'm working my way to conquer it, right? So I love it. I say I'm gonna one day I'm gonna write a book called Commit to Conquer because that's exactly what a lot of us have to do. We have to commit to the process before we can go out there and conquer. And so fast forward now, man, like it's not been all sunshine and rainbows. I'm still learning. Like this year, I think we're gonna hit our first six figure years, which is like so exciting. But 
you know, before then, you know, I went from losing that $20,000 to building it. And it's been a total life uh, experience. And I wouldn't regret doing anything else differently. I don't regret doing, you know, how I did it because of where I am today. So that's a little bit about my story right now. Like I said, I have a podcast as well, and we are doing some real estate education on the side, but that's my real estate story in general. And if I could give any advice to your listeners or anybody listening right now is, listen, you're going to go through times in your real estate journey when you just feel like you want to give up. And you're going to have to decide to commit to real estate in order to succeed. You're going to have to stay committed in order to win. So, man, that's my journey in a nutshell. I know that was kind of a long-winded story, but that's how I got here to where I am today. That's amazing. And honestly, how hard was it to go from having no money to losing 20000 to still staying with the industry? Like, that's incredible, man. What did you do afterwards and how did you actually get out of that hole? Well, it's crazy because there's a lot of people that... I know that I've lost way more money than me. And I asked the same thing. I'm like, man, how did you do that? You lost $50,000, $100,000 on your first deal. And for me, like, I'm going to be straight up. I'm just now paying that off. Like, we took a lot of our profits and we have reinvested into other deals. And now we're like getting to the point where we're paying off debt. We're making money now. So like, it's getting there. But it was just mentally, I had to say, okay, I made this bed and I'm going to lay in it, right? Is that the phrase they say? Like, you know what? I made these mistakes. It wasn't my mentor's fault because he gave me all the rules and principles. He gave me the kind of like the rule book, but I let my emotions rule over the principles. I let my emotions of, oh, I think this house would look awesome when the numbers weren't even close to right. I let that get in the way. So I had to realize in myself, okay, Michael, you did this. The process works, but the way you did it does not. So that's kind of how I got over the mental part of it. And then, you know, the financial side of it has just been going in there, reinvesting, using other people's money to fund deals, even though I didn't have a bunch, just partnering with other people, having them put money in, turn around, reselling houses and repaying off that money. Hmm. Awesome. And can you tell me some of the mistakes that you made that created this $20,000 loss? Yeah. So like I said, I didn't really listen to my mentor as much. And that's what you're supposed to do when you get a mentor, right? You're supposed to listen to them and follow them. But I got so excited about this real estate journey that I just went out there, took massive action and didn't refer to what he was saying in the past. Like when we had group coaching calls and things like that. And some of the mistakes I made were buying a house too expensive, you know, or yeah, buying it too high thinking that I could make a lot of money when in fact, I didn't include all the realtor fees because I got so excited. I didn't go there and do the due diligence I need. It's like, looking back, I'm like, Michael, that was beginner stuff, right? Like, why did you go back? Like, I don't know. It's just, I always get down myself. I'm like, you could have literally, if you would have listened and opened your ears a little bit, you wouldn't be where you are today, like in a good way, right? You could have been way much forward. But, you know, one, I just bought the property too high. And that's why a lot of people lose a lot of money because they get super excited. And they're like, oh, I can sell this thing. For example, in my case, I was like, oh, I could sell this thing for like $130,000. And that was my first deal. That's what I thought. And I could have if it was in very nice condition. But I made a second mistake. I tried doing all the work myself. And you got to realize, not only did I have no money, I didn't have any experience. So I thought, oh, I can do I can go to Lowe's. I looked up on Lowe's. Oh, flooring's only... A dollar fifty a square foot here. I can play that, or hey, you know, I can paint a wall. And what was supposed to turn into a, a month project turned into a six month project because I was doing it. 
So the first thing, like I said, was buying the property too expensive. And then the other mistake I made was trying to do it myself when I had no experience. And yeah, that kind of just made it snowball because I was took longer to renovate it. That means there was more interest payments. I was paying like $900 a month interest on this house from a hard money lender. And it just started snowballing and snowballing and snowballing. So if I could give you any word of advice is make sure you buy right and make sure if you know, you have the right contractors in place, or you have the right people on your team that are going to renovate the property and can give you the right numbers. Because obviously my ARV may have been right, but my renovation wasn't right. So because of that, and because it took longer to renovate, I ended up selling the house for like $115,000, $120,000. And yeah, it just was horrible. Yeah. So were you just like learning how to do everything by going on YouTube, figuring anything out like that? Yeah, man. I was going on YouTube, asking some friends I had that were in construction. And eventually it's like anything. When you first start it, you're going to get super pumped. You're going to get super excited. It's like, for example, and I applaud you, man, you're pushing out these podcasts, but most people, when they start podcasting, they'll do like five episodes, right? And then they'll forget about it, right? Same thing with real estate, with business. People get so excited. Then one or two months in, they're like, oh, I don't know. Like, I don't feel like doing what it takes anymore. And that's kind of what happened to me because I was like, oh, I was so like the first day we bought the property, I went in there, you know, smashing cabinets, you know, all that fun stuff, get in there and do it. And then you're like, man, this is a lot of work. And over time, after a month, you're like, I don't want to go work in the house today. You know, I'll do that Sunday after I get off from church or like, you know, Saturday whenever I have free time. So, you know, you have time where you put it off. And that was just me because you get tired and mentally fatigued. And so, yeah. That's kind of my take and my side of it. But what I'm trying to say is a lot of times we get so excited at the beginning. It's, hey, in order to succeed, and I'm not trying to make this all like motivational or anything, but it's true. If in order to get past a certain level, you're just going to have to stick to it and decide you're going to be consistent. Absolutely. And so what are you doing now? Like what's changed since that time? Since that time, everything's changed. So now when I buy a property, I make sure that we are ultra conservative. So like, for example, we just got a house under contract and the wholesaler that was sending us the deal, the realtor, they're like, oh, we think you can sell this for like 215. I was like, no, we're going to, you know, worst case scenario, we'll sell this at 200, 190, you know, something like right there. So try to be more conservative with my numbers because of the fact that this presidential election is kind of up in the air. We've been in a hot market for so long now. I mean, Shoot, where I live right now, houses are staying on the market for like, I don't know, maybe a day. And like, if that, maybe a couple hours. And so it's just like, everything's so hot. And so one, just buying conservatively and being safe. Another thing is, you know, outsourcing the work. Like I said, I mean, just those two things alone, making sure your profit margins are what they need to be and making sure people are in their place. That changes everything because now that somebody else is working on the house, I can go find more deals or I can go out and do other things I need to do to grow my business. And to be honest, it's funny, even after that first deal, there were several other houses I've done and I still did some of the work in those houses as well. But slowly, I'm letting go of control. And so now we got to the point where I'm just like, listen, in order for these to be done correctly and fast, I'm gonna have to outsource it. So that's another thing. And yeah, just making sure all kinds of systems are in place in your business, right? So like the systems of what happens when you close in the house, right? Who goes and gets materials? Who goes and 
who does the accounting side of your business. Little things like that add up and take your time is what we are really focused on building out, building those systems that are going to make it efficient and you know fast. Mm-hmm. Systems are very important. Now, I know that you said that I guess now you are still using other people's money. People are kind of partnering with you to do these deals. How were you able to convince people to work with you when you came off such a, a big loss on your first try? That's a very good question because a lot of people would say, well, after you failed, there's no way you could have somebody partner with you. But I think if, if they see that you're committed to the process, I keep going back to this, but if they see that you are hungry for this and you learn from your mistakes, they're going to be like, okay, I'm okay with investing with this guy. One, because he's continued his education. And I think communicating this with your private lenders is cool too. You know, you're continuing your education. You are going out there and you admitted that you failed and don't be afraid to show people, hey, this is what I did and this is what I'm doing now to correct that. Because if they can see, oh, Michael knows what he did wrong and what's how not to flip a house, right? That's what we need to write a book, bro. Like how not to flip a house because <laughs> I think it would sell. But and if you can show them like, hey, this is what we're doing now and this is what we've learned. People will trust you even though you may have failed at the beginning. So don't get discouraged if you did fail and you're afraid everybody's going to be looking around at you like, oh, you failed, you lost a lot of money, or you didn't do what you said you were going to do. Listen, just get back up, keep the horse rolling, keep the ball rolling, and just go out there and do what you say you're going to do. And people will see that. And so for me, in my scenario, after that, I just reached out and you know, it's different because a lot of people on social media, you can post and say, oh, I got a new house, right? And nobody sees that you lost $20,000 from that deal. I'm upfront with people though. I'll tell them, but a lot of people don't know what you're going through because not everybody's on social media. Not everybody hears your stories on these podcasts. And so some people just knew I was in real estate. I bought a house, but nobody knew the story behind it. So don't ever think that your failures are out there in the public because there's a lot of people that to be honest, this is going to sound really bad. They don't care about your life. They're worrying about their own. And so if you think, oh, they'll never do this. Listen, people are selfish. They're worrying about themselves. How can I grow my business? How can I get do this, 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 this? A lot of people aren't even paying attention. So that should be encouragement to you because even if you did fail, it's okay. There's people out there that will talk with you despite of what happened. So like I said, just be transparent with people. You know, don't go out there if you've never flipped a house and say, hey, you know, I flipped, you know, so many houses, that's a lying. Don't do that. But just be real with them. Say, hey, listen, I got into real estate. For my example, I just said, hey, I got into real estate, you know, about a year ago. I bought a house. Didn't work out because, you know, I did some things wrong, but I'm learning now. Got some a mentor that's, you know, we worked through the problems and now we found a really good deal and we're looking for a partner with it. And so a lot of people are like, oh, cool. Show me the numbers, right? Once you show them that you've moved past that point in your life, I think it's totally fine. Yeah, that's really good advice. And the reason why I'm asking is because of my own personal situation. Like we talked about in your podcast, I had some really bad flips because I bought them at the peak of the market in 2018. And in 2019, the market took a big dip. And I've been having to live with that for the past two years. And like you said, mentally, it's such a struggle. You have to think about it. Yeah, I can relate, man. And it's like, oh my God, it's never ending. You're paying interest on this property. And then now that I'm done with it, I feel this sense of relief. But now it's also like, Okay, what now? My track record is spotty. You know, people who have solid track records, they get all the attention, they get all the funding. Now I feel like I'm in a place where I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So it's cool to hear your advice about the fact that most people don't even know that you're messing up and they just know that you're in real estate. 
So as long as you have a good opportunity, as long as you've been showing that you're still out there, still learning, then they'll be more willing to trust you. Yeah. And, you know, like we said, hey, we have these podcasts, we have these platforms, we're out there. They know we're out here in real estate. So let's leverage these platforms to do more deals. I love it, man. You're spot on. And what I really like, because you're very vulnerable in your story, you're very transparent. And that's what I really loved about your podcast and being on with you. So thank you for that. And another thing I want to add to that is if you have a good deal, like if you know it's a good deal, like people are going to want to invest with you. Like they're going to be like more apt to invest with you. So like if you're in that situation and you're like, this is just from what I would feel and this is what I would say. Like if you're out there right now and you failed and I would just focus on getting that next good deal, the next one that could make you back what you lost, you know, focus on making one that's going to help you, but also help other investors. Because listen, when you have a good deal, people are going to want to be involved. So that would be another word of advice from me. So I don't know how it is over there, but here in the Bay Area, deals are very, very sparse. Like they're sending out maybe $18,000 worth of direct mail just to get one good deal. Wow. How are you getting deals and like, what does your deal flow look like? So like I said, I'm in a very, very small town. So where I live, there's probably like 5,000 people. And I know there's people that come from way smaller towns than that. But for me, that's pretty small. And where we invest is like Twenty to 30,000 people. So it's very small. There's no wholesalers where I invest. Now, I actually do invest in another city a little bit farther and there are wholesalers and stuff. But really, I'm finding a lot of my deals because I am in more of a rural area. I'm finding a lot of deals off Facebook marketplace. You know, we've done some through Facebook groups, right? So majority of my deals that I've done in the past year have come through online presence and social media, right? Just making posts in Facebook groups that are buy and sell groups or like yard sale groups. I'll go in there and just make a post like, hey, my wife and I are looking for a house that needs work. Shoot me a message if you have one for sale, right? So the flip that we have on the market right now, I did that. Somebody messaged me, just went out there, looked at it, made an offer. We've got a bunch of leads. To be honest, I've been very inconsistent with bandit signs, but we've gotten a lot of leads with bandit signs out here in this in these smaller towns. And I probably should have gotten a few deals, but I let them pass just to be safe. You know how it is. Like I said, I'm trying to be safe in my numbers and, you know, make sure our criteria is set. So bandit signs, we're putting those out. We get leads all the time. Yeah. So those are the main two, I would say right there. But social media is big in a small town. I don't know much about, you know, investing in rural areas, but have you found any particular risks in involving or investing in these kind of places? Yeah. So... Obviously, investing in rural areas, investing in places that are, you know, smaller towns, often the houses take a lot longer to sell. So it's funny, I actually was having this conversation yesterday with somebody and they asked the same question like, hey, how do you evaluate a deal or what do you do with a deal in a rural area? And so for me, I always make sure that my price that I'm going to be able to sell it for, the after repair value, the ARV is super conservative because I would rather have that price on the lower end and be able to sell it fast than have it priced on the higher end and sit on the market for six to eight months. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So for me, I always make sure when I'm running my numbers, like every other deal I do, I'm always like, okay, if I have to bump this price down 10 or $15,000, which is pretty significant here where I am in, in your area that you're probably like 15,000, like that's nothing, right? We, like, our decreases are 50 or a hundred, but you know, if we have to take the numbers down, you know, 10% just to sell it, am I going to make money? So 
that's that. And I always budget in my time frame. Like I always do at the very beginning when I'm evaluating deal, like, hey, how long is this going to take from start to finish? I always budget just a little bit longer because you just never know, you know, when that demand is going to come for a house in a small, you know, small area. But there's good pros and cons about rural investing, right? If you're in a, a big city, a lot of times the market can be a lot more volatile. And we're seeing actually right now, because of the presidential election, because of COVID, a lot of rural areas, it, the market is actually increasing because people are moving from cities out to suburbs and rural areas. So that's kind of the pros about investing in a smaller town like this out in the middle of the country is that, but really, I just make sure your criteria is, is met and set on those deals. And then you just have extra holding time. So what kind of, I guess, days on market do you expect for a property in the rural area? Obviously, it's going to vary by region, right? So somewhere in the middle of Kansas is going to be different here in Kentucky where I'm at. But for us here in Kentucky, in a rural area, it could be, you know, 30 to 90 days, right? Like, it just depends. But if I move like an hour north into a bigger city, like I said, it could be a day on the market, you know? So what about for like your flip projects? What do you usually expect? Yeah. So my flip projects, I always, for example, this one that we're getting ready to buy at the end of the month, it's going to be a month to renovate. We expect a month for it to sell before we get an offer, you know, and everything comes through. It could be more like even in that smaller market, like if the deal is good and it's priced right, if it's a, a nice house priced right. I mean, we've had like, for example, two flips ago, we had one that was on the market for two days, three days. Oh wow! Yeah. So it's not that you know, but that was a, a pretty cheap price range. We made sure that one was priced cheaper so we can move it fast. But usually we budget for about, you know, a month for it to be on the market. But, you know, things always happen, right? So like this house that we have in the market now, it was under contract within, I think, a month or two months, month and a half, but then the seller backed out, right? So seller backed out because of some things that came up on inspection that they were buying it as is. We kind of, this house is as is by, but, and they knew that, but it's got, got wet feet. So, you know, you always just need a budget for that. So on this one, thankfully, we did have a budget for a longer term and that's where it helped. Mm -hmm. Like what does a typical deal look like for you guys in terms of the numbers? Numbers. So here in Kentucky, a lot of the typical numbers, like I said, it, it varies very greatly because where we're at, you know, an average house, three bedroom, two bath may sell for $150,000, $200,000. So it's a lot different than California, where you guys are. But, you know, we may, we'll buy a house for about $50,000, put about 40 or 50 in it and sell it for 130 to 200. Just depends on, you know, the, the ARV, where it's at, things like that. But like for this deal that we're doing right now, we actually, we're buying it for 95. We're putting 50 in it and we're going to sell it for, list it for 215. So it just varies wherever you're at because like two flips ago, we sold one for 90,000 too. So it just, a nice house can go anywhere from a hundred to 300,000. Okay. And again, you're finding this as a combination of like hard money loans and private money loans. Yeah. So what we've been doing actually is we built very good relationships with our local banks here, our traditional lenders, and they've been very grateful for us or grateful to us. And we've just kind of went out there and built a relationship with them and they're letting us, you know, put 20% down. They'll cover the whole renovation and so, I mean, you look at a $50,000 house, putting 20% down, that's not that much, you know? That's like, I mean, obviously we're only going to make 20 or 30,000 compared to a market where you're going to make 100, 200, or 300,000 per deal. 
but you know, the entry is pretty small. So right now I've done this a few times. We've had some private lenders put down the down payment for us on those loans. And we've put down our own money. We haven't quite got to the point where we've had people come in and pay for the whole thing, you know, at, with their own private money. But, you know, we hope to get to the point where we can do that all cash offers. And so, yeah, that's right now we've used, like I said, hard money lenders in the past. Don't have a thing problem with it, but our local bank has been so good to us. They letting us land pretty freely. So we like that. But yeah, man, I mean, hard money lending, I love it. I kind of got a bad taste in my mouth whenever I failed on that first deal. You know, whenever I experienced, you know, all the interest and stuff, I was like, man, that is high interest. You know, I kind of got burnt, but I realized it wasn't the hard money lender that did it. It was me. Hard money works. Hard money will work when you need it, but you just got to learn how to actually work the flips and how to actually exit correctly. I mean, I had the same problem. Like, I think hard money loans are a tool that you can use. And like any tool, if you use it properly, it's great. If you use it improperly, then you can hurt yourself. Like this one deal, I would never have been able to buy it without the use of hard money. And because I used hard money, I was able to make, like you said, $300,000 in profit. Amazing. Another deal, I used hard money loans on an expensive property, which meant that when the market turned, I wasn't able to refinance out because it wouldn't, you know, there's no valuation there, which meant that I'm paying high interest month after month after month. And like you said, there's a bad taste in your mouth, but it's not their fault. It's you. You agreed to those terms. Right. You just have to use the tool wisely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So besides your real estate journey, you also have your own podcast. What made you want to do that? And like, what's like the theme of your podcast and your show? Yeah. So our podcast is called Real Estate Success Strategy. So what I really wanted to do is whenever I got into real estate, I wanted just a way to document my journey and just kind of like one day when I look back, be like, man, like, where did we come from? Right. You know, and just like listen to everything. And so just document it all. And um, to be honest, I was very inconsistent at first. You know, those we were talking about podcasting, how you were very consistent. Like for me, when I started, I was like doing one podcast every other month or something like that. Just very spotty because I was just getting on there. I was just saying, hey, guys, like today we got this house. We're doing this X, Y, Z on it. And But now it's turned more into like a podcast where we bring on guests. And we see how they're making money in real estate. We talk about, hey, what strategies are you using to make money in your area? And so we do that and incorporate my journey. So like every few episodes, I'll hop on and talk about what I'm doing. But mostly we'll bring on, you know, successful real estate investors like yourself and other people and just interview them to ask them how they got started. Kind of like what you're doing, you know, how you got started, you know, what are some tips? We've brought on people that you know, are doing mobile home deals. We've brought on some people that are doing multifamily. We've brought on some private lending professionals, people that like have raised millions of dollars in real estate and continue to do so. And so we just bring them on, pick their brain and try to give as much value to our audience. And it could be found anywhere you listen to podcasts. That could be on Google, Apple, but just look up real estate success strategies and you'll find it. It's awesome. I know that having the podcast has been very helpful for myself as well because, you know, number one, it's like free consulting. I get to ask a real estate investing expert like yourselves, all of your secrets. And, you know, when I was just starting out as a real estate investor, I was going to these local meetup groups and I would see these guys making like a million dollars a year. I thought, wow, I want to be like you someday. And I would think, okay, how am I going to ask this guy to go to like a one hour lunch with me? There's no way, right? He's going to be like, who are you? You have no value to me. And you know, it's not going to happen. But with the show, Suddenly, I felt like, oh, I have a reason to talk to you at the end of the meeting. Hey, I have a podcast. I have a you know, couple hundred listeners. Would you like to come and speak to a couple hundred people? You know, So number one, 
it was great for the knowledge. But number two, now I can build that network, that relationship. And so now when I have deals, I can say, hey, you know, we talked on the podcast for a good hour. We built a lot of rapport. Here's a deal. Take a look at it. And so slowly but surely, we build our networks from it. I love it, man. That's I never really thought about that until I actually started a podcast. And I was like, this podcast is more for me than it is for the audience, I feel like. <laughs> so I'm right there with you, man. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it helps a lot. And honestly, it's a lot of fun doing it. So we really enjoy it. Yeah. And when you get out there and you kind of just speak your thoughts, it, it's something, you know, something different. There's a different feeling behind it. And this is for anybody that's out there in your living life right now, like get your thoughts out on paper, right? You know, like get your thoughts out verbally, because whenever you start expressing what's up here, you can experience life in a different way. And that's what we're seeing right now in our podcast, right? You know, we're sitting down, picking people's brain, people are asking us questions, and we're taking what's up here and getting it out obviously to our audience, but you know, it's changing our lives by doing it. Mm -hmm. So Michael, what's next for you? Well, right now we're wanting to start buying multifamily like everybody, right? Everybody wants to get into multifamily, but we're wanting to buy multifamily apartments and mobile home parks. So right now we're kind of learning that space. I'm dabbling in it. I've started learning about syndication, pulling a bunch of money from private investors. And right now we're learning how to find those deals. And eventually I would love to get to the point to where we are flipping houses and I, that's so systematized. I have somebody there as a project manager, somebody there that's making sure those deals are going good, that I can focus on the rental side to build up enough passive income for me and my wife to travel wherever we want. So I love business. I love everything. We just bought a fitness facility about two months ago. So we got that up and running and I just, I love business in general. So who knows what I'll be into next. That's incredible. And are you trying to buy multifamily apartments near where you're at or just like anywhere in the state or in the nation? Yeah. So primarily in our state, but we are looking in different markets as well. We're looking more at like Indianapolis, Indiana area, Kentucky as well. And we've thought about doing Tennessee since it's just two and a half hours. Well, hour and a half is the border, but about two and a half where we want to invest. So it's pretty close. And so we're looking mainly Tennessee, Kentucky, and Indiana. Very nice. All right, Michael. Well, it was a pleasure having you on the show today. Do you have any last tips for our audience before we finish up? No, if I can give you anything, it's what I said earlier, guys. If you want to conquer your space and conquer in real estate or whatever you're doing, you just got to commit to the process. Don't be like me. Don't just dabble in it because so many, we, we say we're dabbling. And for example, whenever I was doing it day trading, I was like, oh, you know, I'm just dabbling. I'm just giving it a try. You know, and if you never fully immerse yourself and you fully, never fully commit to it, you're never going to be a professional. So if I could leave one word of advice for you is become a professional in your field, whether that's real estate, whether that's e-commerce, whatever you're doing, maybe you're a teacher, just become a professional, right? And when you take that upon yourself and you commit to being an expert in your field, that's when it's going to all change for you. Yep. Get in it, get dedicated, be persistent, and eventually things will work out. Love it. Yep. So Michael, how can people get in contact with you? Yeah, guys, really, I'm most active on Instagram. So you can get on there and follow me at official Michael Tucker. I'm also on Facebook, Michael Tucker, Real Estate Success Strategies Podcast. And I also have a free Facebook group called the Real Estate Success Group. So you can go on there, join it. We get do free trainings almost weekly. And, you know, we announce free events in there, podcast updates in there and things like that. So the Real Estate Success Group on Facebook. Perfect. Well, Michael, thank you again for coming on the show. It was a pleasure having you on. All right. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, 
Join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everything REI. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.